0: 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to preach a burden that I feel my spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. The Bible says, Now all these things happen unto them for samples." And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are coming. This afternoon, I want to preach on the world's greatest revival, the rapture of the church. The rapture. Let's lift our hands just one more time, and let's ask God to have his way in this atmosphere in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we come before you once again, Almighty God. We need you more than ever before, God. I need you at this very moment. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would move upon us, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, almighty God, that you would change hearts, change minds, change souls change us, God. We we want to be transformed. We want to be equipped. Equip your church today, almighty God, to do what you desire for us to do in these last days, almighty God. We trust in you. We seek after you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Or preach in this uh, this session, and if you don't mind, I just want to flow with what the Holy Ghost is guiding me and directing me to do, Amen. But I want us to have a little context of what we're reading here. Praise God, Amen. In First Corinthians chapter ten, and we could just open once again. Let us read just a couple of scriptures before the verse eleven that we had read. Let's go into uh, verse number one, if you don't mind. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. We're going to pick up some context here in the portion of Scripture. And man, The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all of our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed from the sea. Verse 2, And all were baptized unto Moses under the cloud and in the sea, and all did eat the same spiritual meat, and all did drink the spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that was Christ. Here's, here it is. Verse 5, but with many of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Praise the Lord. So here we understand, in the context of the portion of the scripture, that there was the, uh, the 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 elders or the former generation that was walking under uh, the leadership or the pastoral ministry of Moses, the prophet Moses, that we know as the deliverer of the children of Israel. Praise God. And we understand that this generation, the Bible says. That they went ahead and they ate and they drank and they made merry, praise God. And they actually also gave themselves to fornication and other types of sins. And they, they they went ahead and they did not obey the voice of God. And they began to continually do things that the Bible says in verse 5 that they were displeasing God. Amen. They were not pleasing God in their lifestyle. They were being uh, unfaithful to the voice of God, unfaithful to the things of God. They did not want to walk under the subjection of the voice of the man of God during that that time. They tempted Christ. They murmured and they did these things for our admonition. The Bible says that they were examples for us, praise God, that they were examples for us. And it's telling us that it doesn't matter the generation before you. For their failures the things that they had done and I'm just going to pause here and tell you right now it doesn't matter the failures that you have committed in the past praise God because failures are the things that hinder us and stop us and from doing the very things that God is calling us to do the Bible says for there is for our admonition they were an example for us to whom the ends of the world has come and that phrase right there the ends of the world has come that word world there means age it refers to the word of the dispensation age, praise God. If you know anything about dispensationalism, it, it refers to the way God deals with man during a certain time and an age. And that's exactly what God is saying here, is in this dispensation. and In this age, God is wanting to uh, uh, have us the understanding, give us the understanding that we, are, we might just be the very last generation. That might see the unfolding of the prophecies in the last days. The signs and the wonders that will happen before the rapture of the church. Praise God. That is you and that is I. We are in the last days. And is, he is saying here that they rose up to play and they made merry. Praise God. And that word pray or play there, I'm sorry, actually refers to actual sport. In the Greek it's piazzo, And when you read that portion of scripture, it actually says that they play games. They were messing around with God. They were not serious about the things of God. They were playing around. They were fornicating. They were committing sin. And they did not take serious the things of God. So that's why they weren't able to enter into the very promised land. So God had to raise up somebody by the name of Joshua, the son of Nun. The Bible says that this man of God would go into the temple of Moses. And he would be in that tabernacle. And he did not want to leave the tabernacle. The Bible says that he was lost in the glory of God. And that's exactly what God wants to do with you. And wants to do with me, he wants us to be lost uh, in the glory of God. Church, I want to tell you right now this time is not the time to mess around, it's not the time to play around with God, it's not time to play around with church, but it's time to get serious uh, about the things of God. Why? Because there is a rapture that's about to take place, uh, and if we miss that rapture, we will not. to understand but God is also saying that it doesn't matter the failures or the past that the other generations have and that your, your future or your calling is not predicated upon the mistakes and the failures that you have made with God. Think about it. With Moses, imagine beginning your ministry in murder. That's how he started his ministry. That's how he left Egypt. He left Egypt. Why? Because he had murdered somebody. Imagine running from the call of God because you had sinned so greatly that it throws you into a desert and you no longer have a relationship with God. And this is exactly what God wants them to understand is that it doesn't matter the failures that you have committed in the past that God is still seeking for a generation that is rapture ready, that is an urgency in their spirit and in their soul. And he's wanting you to understand you still have a calling of God. You still have an anointing. It's never too late to to be able to grab hold on the things that God has for you. Praise God. All right. What about with David? He lusted, committed fornication, committed adultery, murdered another man. But the Bible says that as soon as he realized that he had committed that sin, after the prophet came and spoke to the very man of God, the very king, and this is exactly, I think, what our generation needs to know, as a generation of preachers, that this man should have died. Actually, the prophet should have died before David. He said, you're the man. You committed this sin, and you did this wrong. He was legal and legal right. He should have died. But we need men of God and women of God that will say, thus saith the Lord, regardless if it costs your life, regardless if it costs anything, that we need to put priority in the things of God in our life. Come and it astounds me that after he had failed according to the law, we all know the story, that he should have died. He should have been stoned by the very nation of Israel. He should have been stoned by the elders. And he should have been made an example that you should not commit this type of sin and allow it to enter into the very kingdom of God. But then the Bible says that when this man David, when he had sinned, he had came before God in repentance and he began to snort and cry. And then we see how God came down from the very celestial of heaven and he came and picked up this man David and he returned the word of the Lord. When he said, thou shalt not die, the prophet. He should have died according to the law. He should have been stoned, made an example. Well, because he knew how to repent, and he knew how to apply the blood upon his life. I'm telling you, there's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, there's a generation that knows how to repent from their sins, and I'm not talking about a cycle of repentance. I'm talking about really crucifying yourself and laying yourself at the altar. See, many, many of us are living under defeat because we truly don't know how to repent. And it's a part of our message as apostolics repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and, and be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost or the gift of the Holy Ghost. But yet, we don't even know how to truly make the first decision. Is repentance. So instead of going from glory to glory and seeing the power of God demonstrated in our lives, we go from repentance to repentance to repentance and continue to be defeated under the very enemy the hand of the enemy. You see, because repentance is a conscious decision that we need to make. It's not a feeling. It's not a moving of what you think you should just make or something you should just do. But it's actual conscious decision that you're supposed to make when you come to God and after you fail and after you... And it's beautiful how this man, David, knew how to repent. He came before God and said, God... I need to be forgiven. He went into a fast. He began to mortify the needs of the flesh. And you know what astounds me? Is that the very woman that he continued his life with, that he committed adultery with, God killed his son. And what astounds me is that after that, after the Bible says, the Bible says that he gave birth to Solomon, the Bible says, and he loved Solomon. How will the and the love of failure that the man and the woman made. Think about that. The Bible says that he loves song, that the Lord loves song. But this is the same child that's replacing the child prior to their failure, and this is the, the, the exact same situation, but the true matter of it is because he knew how to repent and when he had repented, God still loved the failure and was able to make all things work together for the good. And he became the wisest man. God began to use him and establish the kingdom of Israel under the hand of Solomon. This is not even in my notes. I'm just wanting to flow with the Holy Ghost and be able to minister what I feel in the Spirit because I believe some of us are not really living to the potential that we can live in. is because we simply cannot get over the failures of the past. And we cannot get over the failures of our generations before us. And we say, God, it's impossible. My father was a drug addict or he was an alcoholic. My mother, she she did such and such thing. Or my grandpa, he did such and such thing. I cannot do the same thing. Why? Because, God, I I cannot live for you. I cannot serve you. I cannot live up to the potential that you have in store for me because of the failures that I've committed and the failures that I've seen in the past generations. So then God is actually calling you out by name. And yesterday, as brother brother, Brandon's, well, brother Brandon was ministering the Word of God, and he typified the generation of today as Lazarus when he was in the tomb. And the Bible says that God called the name of Lazarus and He rose Him up out of that tomb. But here's the thing that astounded me, brother, brother brother Brandon is that the Bible says that He told the woman to roll away the stone. And after they had rolled away the stone, He said, "Take off." the very garments that are on him. And after they removed the garments and after they rolled away the stone, then he was able to raise them up from the dead. What does that tell you? What does that tell me? Is that there's actual certain things that we must do in this day and hour. We need to repent. We need to consecrate. We need to pray. We need to pass. We expect our God to do the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, but thou does truly making the sacrifice and paying the price and doing what we to do before God can actually do the miracle. So they were confused because God doesn't do the things that he used to do in the past generations and and in the early church but yet the Bible shows us that they didn't even have much to live in. That they gave up so many things, they sacrificed, they paid a price, they, they consecrated, they separated themselves from the things of the world. How in the world is God going to pour out his spirit and do miracles, signs, and wonders in a generation that's acquainted to the things that limit God from doing the very things he's calling us to do? We need to roll the stone away of carnality. That's good. We need to roll the stone away of prayerlessness. We need to roll the stone away of the things that mingle us with the things of the world. And and we need to to roll away that stone and say, God, you know what, God? I need you to do this. I need you to do that. But God is saying, before I can actually raise this generation out of the dead, then I need to see them roll away the stone and take off the garments that wrap around that dead body and do the very things I'm calling them to do. And if not, we're not going to see miracles. We're not going to see signs. We're not going to see. But that's why we're here. Because we're rolling away the stone. And we're saying, God. Oh, whatever it is, I, I want to roll it away. I want to do what you're calling me to do. Yes. Yes. That's why we're here. Praise God. I don't know what Brother really David is. At. I don't know how much time I have. But I just want to move with what God has, has put in my spirit. We are that generation of whom the ends of the world has come. God is calling you, He's calling me to a place in a relationship with God that we've never been in. To a place in intimacy with God that you've never seen before a place where you can be in solitude and in communion with the Holy Ghost like you never have before. I don't know how many of you guys have ever tried it, but locking yourself in the prayer room overnight and saying, God, I'm not going to leave this place until you you do something with me. I'm not going to leave this place until you truly change me and you truly transform me. I remember a time when I was in prayer and I, uh, I was in a place where God was really compelling me to pray. And literally, I felt the taste of food leave my mouth, leave my mouth, and I didn't want to eat no more. I felt, in a sense, like I was depressed, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to do things that I usually do. I didn't want to hang around with people. And I, I was kind of confounded. I was confused in my mind because I didn't know why I was feeling this way. But then I came across a scripture in the book of Lamentations. The Bible says that, that, the, that the young man sits in silence when it's heavy upon him. And the book of Lamentations, if you know, that's actually the whole book. That whole book is a, a book of intercessory prayer. It's the prayers of, 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 of Jeremiah, the prophet, about uh, interceding for the nation of Israel. That There's a whole book dedicated to intercessory prayer in the Bible, the book of Lamentations. And if you know me, my ministry really consists of intercession. And intercessory prayer, and that's where I really feel God leading me and, and guiding me and directing me, and this is what I felt actually, I was talking to somebody over the phone, and I'm going to be kind of transparent with y'all right now, is, is that I was talking uh, uh, on the phone with one of my really good friends, you guys will actually meet him later on in this conference, his name is Jesse Cornell, I was talking to him on the phone and this was just about two weeks ago and I, when I was talking to him I told, I was telling Jesse I said, Jesse, I need you right now, and he said, well, what's going on? And I told him, I said, right now, I just, I feel so depressed. I don't even want to talk to nobody. I don't, I don't want to be around anybody. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I've never been in this state of mind, and in, this, in this place. And he told me, bro, he's like, he said, I, I, honestly, man, I've never dealt with, with anything like that myself. I don't know what to tell you. And then I finally came to a place in prayer. I said, brother, just pray for me. I need you just continue to pray for me. I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be at home. And then I understood that, that God was using that, that that emotion to lead me to a place of prayer that I've never been before. And, and I would lock myself in the prayer room and, and three, four hours would pass by and six hours would pass by and I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't content. And then I stumbled over this portion of scripture where the Bible says that, that, that when the spirit is upon him, it's upon him heavy and the young man he sits in silence. And that was referring to intercessory prayer there's a spirit of intercession that comes with that spirit of prayer or or intercessory prayer that rests upon you and you never want to be the same again i'm telling you right now there's nothing i will trade for what i feel in prayer with god where i can be in the place where i'm interceding day and night for my city praise God and you know why. I had so many options after Bible college to go to a place. One of my options I'll tell you right now is the place where I could have gone. I was going to have a salary of $60,000 a year. They had a car ready for me. They had a place for me to stay and I was going to start off as a youth pastor with 35 young people and they said come by. We'll have everything ready for you and I began to pray and I had three options and and, and one of them was to go back home And, and I began to pray and I began to seek God and I said God what is it exactly that you want me do and God began to be silent with me, and I just continued to seek and pray, seek and pray, seek and pray. And then finally, God answered me, and God said, "I want you to go back home because your city needs revival." And I began to understand that in that place that I could have traded my very calling for just a for such a for just a salary of money for a year, for a car, for a place to stay, and a good group of young people and I understood there you know my city is so lost we have almost 500,000 people there half a million people there in that region in that in that area and I understood you know what there's only three churches two of them are divided and one of them is about 300 people which is a thriving church right now how in the world is, is a church of 300 people just three churches going to reach half a million people and it was in that moment where I understood God the rapture is about to happen. I need to go back home and I need to preach about the rapture. I need to go everywhere I go. I need to preach about the rapture. I need to tell them that the clock is ticking. And if you don't don't get ready, if you don't get prepared, you're going to stay behind. And then you're going to have to go through seven years of tribulation and trial. And you're going to have to give yourself to the enemy. If you don't give yourself to the enemy and and the army, which is the government of Satan during that time, then you're going to have to be martyred and you're going to have to killed over your own blood. Instead of accepting the blood of Jesus Christ at this very moment, at this very hour, we have a free entrance into the heavens and we have a free entrance into the church, but in that day, you're going to have to be martyred for your own blood's sake. You're going to have to be beheaded or you're going to have to be killed or you're going to have to be starving to death. In those days of the trial, in the tribulation, let me tell you, I feel the Holy Ghost now. In the tribulation, there's going to be people, the Bible says, they're going to be seeking after death. The Bible says that they're going to be calling for the rocks of the mountains to be falling upon them during that very time because they're not going to be able to eat, drink, or or sell, buy, or trade. They're going to be in a place where they're in in, in torment and they're trying to find rescue, but the Bible says that they're going to be seeking to drown themselves. They're going to be seeking to ask for the rocks to fall upon them. They're going to be wanting to die, but death is not going to be uh, prevailing during that time. The, The Bible says that time of the rapture so that they're going to be seeking death but they're not going to be able to die. I don't know about you, but this burdens me for my sin. This burdens me for my family. I have brothers and I have sisters that are lost and on their way to hell. And if God were to come here today, my family would stay. My family would not be seeing God. You'll be having to go through a child and a tribulation for seven years. What's going to happen with your family? What's going to happen with your very own brother? With your very own sister? With your very own niece? With your very own nephew? Will they stay? No. But I'll I hope and I'm praying that I'm preaching to a generation today that will not allow the enemy to continue to blind them and continue to close their ears and to not allow them to hear the voice of God. The truth of the matter is, is that we're in a warfare and we're content. We cross our arms and we say, as long as I'm going to church, then I'm alright. But God will say, no. This is the generation of whom the ends of the world has come. I've given you the power. I've given you the authority. I've given you everything to me. I've given my church. And we cannot be content. We have to fight. Whatever we need to fight against, yeah. we need to come against. Whatever we need to fight against, praise God. And see the victory that God has given us today. Praise the Lord. If you believe that, give God a hand clap of praise. To Oregon, and we began to have a very close relationship uh, during the time that she had moved. And we were talking, and she had told me, "She said, Nelson, you don't know the hard the hardship that that I had to go through here in Oregon, my. If you understand, my sister, she she loves God, but she's backslidden. She she had a heart for worship; she had a, a desire to seek God, but then." the things of this world took my sister out of the church and plucked her out. And she, when we we were having this conversation and she, she has a a daughter and her name is Celeste and she's one of my favorite. I love that little girl so much and we were, we were, we were talking and, and she was telling me, Nelson, you don't know even the hardship that I've been having to go through here the past few months when I was first living here. She said, Nelson, I wouldn't even have, Money to buy toilet paper for me and my daughter, and, and my husband. He was uh, without a job during the time, so we didn't even have toilet paper, and, and we, it was just such a struggle. Now, I, I could even buy food, and when I had taken my daughter to Walmart when we did have just a little bit of money, my my daughter would walk by and she'd grab this toy, and she would tell me. She said, she said, Mom, I want this. Food. And my sister would look at her and she, with tears in her eyes, she would, she would look at her and she would say, no, I can't buy that for you right now. She said, she said, Nelson, she said, I felt so wrong. I felt so bad. I wasn't able to give her something. I would go home and cry and weep and I would ask God to to just bless me and, and, and give me just a little bit of money that way I can see my daughter just somewhat happy she's the only child and she's lonely and she doesn't even have so many toys to play with when when I, uh, when she's alone and and she began to tell me this stuff and I felt the anointing of God hit me out of nowhere and I told her I said if you go if you're going through that right now imagine how it's going to be during during the tribulation I said I said imagine during the time during the tribulation, before the rapture of the church, I told her, I said, imagine you're not going to be able to buy. The Bible says, buy, sell, or trade. You're going to be starving yourself and you're going to be starving your family if you don't want to take the mark of the beast. And she said, Nelson, are you serious that I'm not going to be able to actually buy food? And if I want to buy food, then I'm going to have to take the mark of the beast. I said, Yes. I said, if you're going through that right now and you're suffering with that right now, you have an opportunity to come to God and say, God, forgive me. And, and I led her through that portion of, of, of uh, and that place of repentance. And, and she just kind of, it's just so hard for her to leave the world. It's so hard for her to leave the things of this world. And it bounds, it has bound her and has left her in chain and bound up. And she cannot loose that grip of the enemy that he has on her. But I told her, imagine if you're going through that right now with your daughter. Imagine how much more worse it's going to be when you're to have to see your baby girl starving and she's just going to be skin and bones and she's going to be weeping and crying to eat some food or just have a little drop of water. Like never before, God has led me into a place of intercessory prayer. And this is what I... told David on me tonight or today there's a very strong urgency in my spirit I've come here to sound an alarm because the rapture is about to take place and if there's anything that needs to be Coming out of the tomb of brother the uh, Brother Brandon. If there's anything that needs to be woken up. We're talking about apostolic awakening. If anything needs to be awakened today. Is the role of intercessory prayer. That's and there needs to be an awakening. Of intercessors. Someone that can take the place. Of that person. Pray in their stead and fast in their stead and allow God to move on that individual and that person. Can I help? Can I have somebody help me on the keys right now? Powerful portion of scripture in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 9. The Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect. There are two things in this world that go to and fro. We see in the scripture that the Bible in the book of Job says that, the, that Satan himself goes to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's trying to put a seed of temptation, trying to put a seed of bitterness and hatred, trying to sift out the people who the church sift them out of the church there's bitterness past failures and lies and deception but then there's another portion of scripture here like we just read that the bible says that, that the eyes of the Lord go to and from throughout the whole earth you know what astounds me is that I began to study that there's four things that the Bible says that God searches. The book of John, the Bible says that he might find faith on the earth. So God is looking for faith that He's trying to see. The Bible also says in Hebrews 11 that without faith it is impossible to please Him. So God is looking for faith in the earth, somebody that can believe in Him and have faith and trust that God can take care of of every need or even walk in Him and walk worthy in the vocation of the cause. God is looking for faith. Then the Bible also says that He came to seek and to save. He's looking for the souls that are backslidden. He's looking for the souls that are wanting to accept Him. He, he died on the cross to redeem people to Him. And one of the other things that the Bible says that astounds me the book of Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 the Bible says and I sought for a man to stand in the gap but I found none that phrase is one of the most depressing phrases in the scripture in the Bible that God is searching for a man that would stand in the gap and build a hedge. God is looking for an intercessor. But the Bible says that he could not find them. There's a hedge, there's a gap. With your family member and God in between your family member. Uh, there's a bridge. There's a gap between your city and God. And there's a bridge. There's a gap in between your parents and God. And, and the Bible's saying that God is searching for a man to stand in between. I've said, I found nothing. I feel the eyes of the Lord going to and fro in this place looking for an intercessor. And if there's anything that God wants to awaken today in the midst of this apostolic generation, God wants to awaken intercessors in our midst. The role of intercessory prayer has to be the most powerful role in the kingdom of God. You might disagree with me. You might say I'm wrong, this, that, the other, but that's that's fine. I understand how God uses preachers and, and ministers and bishops and this and that and the other, but I am persuaded that God values in our system. If God could, if the, if the enemy could could make a a preacher backslide. There's just so many of them. I'm not saying they're not valuable. If you could get whatever other ministry, but the reason why I say they're so valuable is because there's only a few that truly know how to intercede. I'm not talking to come over here and come to the altar and say, God, touch my mom, touch my dad. I'm talking about you, come and you lock yourself in the prayer room, and you come before God and you fall on your knees and on your face, and your stomach begins to turn, and you begin to lose your voice because you're speaking in tongues and you feel a birth in the spirit, and you're praying so heavy in your spirit, you feel something illuminate, and you feel God begin to release you after five, six hours of praying. That's true intercessory prayer, where you begin to travail something in the spirit, and you know that God has done something. In family and the next day you begin to see the very unfolding of the power of intercessory prayer in your family, praise God, in your generation and in your city where you begin to see things unfold and God begins to touch and mold and shape and bring and bend and do whatever. God will align things, God, will move mountains, God, will send angels, God, will send preachers, God, will do things that are in the impossible, but he's looking for it.